step out. So, well, it was so fun uh, watching Josh get baptized today. Uh, he is a real inspiration in terms of uh, the way that he's living out his faith and his life for Jesus in and around this church and the way that he's leading his family and their involvement here. And uh, as I was talking with him, you know, it's the... Uh, the way that Jesus has changed him really from the inside out is just the beautiful picture of what baptism is all about, that we believe that baptism is just an outward expression of an inward reality of what God has already done uh, in our hearts. And if you're a person of faith today and you uh, haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to take that step. Over the last couple of weeks, I've met many of you uh, who this is, you just started coming to church, you're finding out, you know, what does it look like to walk in faith? What does it look like for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life? And if you're in that space, we would love to have that conversation with you. You can simply text the word next uh, to that same number that Jared mentioned earlier, 720-513-1933. And Doug will be on the other side of that. And Doug is the person who helps people walk through what it means uh, to be baptized. What does it look like to understand our salvation the way that we do? And so if that's where you're at today, I would encourage you uh, to take that step in that direction and uh, we can help you in that space. Well, it is Christmas week uh, here at Crossroads and we are excited to be able to worship together. And so I want to welcome those of you joining us at Fort Lupton online at CrossroadsABC.live, uh, as well as YouTube, Facebook, and of course here at Thornton. If you're brand new with us, just welcome to you. Uh, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor. And if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, uh, I would love to get to know you this Christmas season, and particularly as we turn uh, the calendar into uh, 2022. This Thursday is, or Friday, is Christmas Eve, and we are planning a big celebration. And so if you haven't got signed up for that, you certainly still can do that, all right? When it comes to Christmas, uh, you can ask any child, what the heart of Christmas is, and they will reply what? Presents. Good. Yeah, at the first service I heard someone say Jesus, and while Jesus is a good answer in church, I don't think it's the answer that most kids would give, right? That when it comes to the heart of Christmas, uh, the most kids would answer the heart of Christmas is presents. Now, the most memorable Christmas that I can remember as a kid was when I was in the seventh grade. I have a brother who's a few years younger than I. He's in the, he was in the fifth grade. And then a sister a few years younger than that. She was in the first grade. And uh, we lived in Colorado during that time on 102nd Lowell, so just at the top of the, uh, top of the hill there. And as we were growing up that year, that December, there was like a series of thefts in our neighborhood. Like, like there were these thieves who were literally breaking into houses and stealing presents from underneath the tree. It was like a real real world version of the Grinch who stole Christmas, only like, you know, real life. And uh, so our Christmas tree uh, was big and was put right in front of the, the windows that we had. And of course, all of the presents were, were under that Christmas tree. Now, in our house, we also had this wicked alarm system. Uh, our house was like this model home for the neighborhood, so it had all these ridiculous bells and whistles, and one of them was this, this alarm system, and this alarm system had like sensors in the floor, like in the doors, in the windows, on the stairs, like everywhere you went, there was alarms in this place, and when my brother and I were real little, no, we weren't. We were like middle school, elementary, and high school. When we were kids, we would actually play this game that we had called Burglar. And anytime my parents left us alone, one of us would go in the basement, we would set the alarm, and then the goal was to get to the top to our parents' room without setting off the alarm. And that alarm company called us hundreds of times, you know? And we would just tell them the password that there wasn't really a burglary going on, and then we would move on with our lives, right? And, and by the time we moved from that house when I was in high school, like I could do that with my eyes closed. Like I, it's still today, 25 years later, I bet I could make it through that house without setting off the alarm. Now, back to the most memorable Christmas. That morning of my seventh grade year, Christmas morning, at 4.30 a.m. in the morning, that a wicked alarm system went off in our house. And my dad ripped out of bed, went off the edge of the bed, 
tumbled, did a somersault, grabbed a, a, you know, a decor of my mom's to take as a weapon as he stumbled down the stairs in his tidy whities to confront the thieves who were stealing Christmas presents from our tree who just happened to be my brother and younger sister, right? And they looked at him and they said, can we open presents now, right? Suffice to say, none of us went back to sleep. You know, an hour later, the opening of presents uh, commenced and most of us as kids, we remember waking up at the crack of dawn on Christmas Day, don't we? With really wondering and hoping to, uh, to ask our parents, can we open Christmas presents now, right? I mean, all the way up into high school, like Christmas was my favorite day of the year because I just knew that I would get all kinds of awesome gifts. And us Christians, we believe that the heart of Christmas is indeed a gift, right? But that this gift isn't like wrapped up in materialism, that the gift is actually swaddled in clothes and laid in a manger. And it was a gift that was carefully prepared and planned, expensively bought and given to us with absolute love. And the reality is, is as we gather today, we are so familiar, aren't we, with the Christmas story? That whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a churchgoer or not, whether this is your first time or you've been in church a long time, that we're all pretty familiar with the Christmas story, which is why today I want to kind of fast for, or rewind past the first Christmas. I want to go past Mary and the shepherds and the wise men and the donkey and the manger and the stable and the angels singing, right? Like past all of that and all the way back to around 800 B.C., 800 years before the events of that first Christmas. See, around 800 BC, there was this prophet in Israel known as um, Isaiah. And Isaiah was like an alpha dog prophet. Now, as you open up the Old Testament, you can read about all kinds of prophets that Israel had through their history, but there's just a select few who kind of make it on the Bible's Mount Rushmore of prophets, and Isaiah was one of them. And in Isaiah's time, 800 years before the first Christmas, he makes this incredible claim. He writes down this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says this, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The claim that Isaiah makes is that there will be this baby that is coming and this baby would be born in the most unlikeliest of ways. Humanly speaking, the most impossible ways. And for some of you, that's where you go, <laughs> that's where I check out of the story, right? Virgin being, having a baby, like that, that's where I just go, peace out, that's where I check out. But before you check out today, I want to encourage you just to hang with me, at least for a little bit. Because that event on the first Christmas, or the event of the first Christmas, was foretold 800 years before in this prophecy. 800 years before Mary even existed, this prophecy was made. And that this whole prophecy was made in order that we might have a sign, that the most unlikely, the most impossible birth in human history was a sign from God, Isaiah says, that he was real, that God is real, and that he wants to be involved in, in your life and in my life, and that he actually cares about us, that he actually knows who we are. Now, when Isaiah made this claim, the people of Israel, they were in need of hearing from God. That the nation was, was under attack. It was the enemies were closing in from all sides. And they had real questions about whether they would be destroyed as a nation, even destroyed as a people. And because of some decisions that some of their kings had made, terrible decisions financially, they were ruined. And uncertainty was everywhere. 
I mean, they were uncertain about their future. They were uncertain about their safety. They were uncertain even about their very existence. And there was this sense in Israel of just hopelessness and helplessness all around. In fact, as Isaiah is writing his prophecy, the way that he describes the people were the people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, is that they were a people who were walking in darkness, that they were walking in the shadows. That 16 times in Isaiah's prophecy, in his book, he speaks to the darkness that overshadowed, that overhung Israel. And during this time, what was always in front of them, what was always in front of them, is that they had gone about life, and they had gone about doing life the wrong way. And that they knew that there was nothing that they could do. They, they couldn't try harder. They couldn't make it better, that there was nothing that they could do to put it back together the way that it should be. And they were all searching for something, for anything to hold on to. And God, through Isaiah, says, what you need, what you need is a baby, a baby. And I imagine, for many of us, the uncertainty that Israel faced is not too different than what these last two years have looked like for most of us. I mean, we're a people that knows what it looks like to walk through darkness, doesn't it, don't we? Like, we're a people who knows what it looks like to walk through the shadows, that we have an understanding of, of what was, and the reality is starting to set in that it will, it will probably never return to what that was. It'll never be that again. And maybe as we bring a close to 2021 and turn the calendar to 2022, that we are more aware than possibly ever before that our lives are fragile. And there's uncertainty everywhere, isn't there? There's uncertainty about our futures. There's uncertainty about our safety. There's uncertainty about even at times our existence. And God says to us, perhaps without us even knowing it, that what you're looking for is Christmas. What you need is a baby. The way that Isaiah would write it in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, is like this. He says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four names given to this child, representing the significance of this child. Four names that describe why this is the greatest gift that God could ever give you under your Christmas tree. Four names that Isaiah uses to announce this baby is exactly what Israel, the world, needs. And while I would love to run through all four of these names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, we don't have time to do that today. Maybe another sermon series for another year when you forget this one. But, but today I want to focus on just one of these names, and that is Mighty God. Mighty God. That as we jump into this, I want to focus today on Mighty God and why, in the midst of all of the uncertainty that this world has to offer, that understanding this child as Mighty God is what brings us hope this Christmas. That as we dive into this claim that, that Isaiah makes, we realize that, that there's a significant statement that he's making, that there is actually a God. 
that what he's saying is that somewhere out there, beyond what we can see, somewhere beyond what we experience in this world, it's not that there's nothing, there's something, and that something is a God. And the question that we have to answer is, what is that God like? Who is that God? I mean, what did Isaiah mean when he said God? Was he thinking like the Romans and the Greeks thought about God? You know, when you look at, at Greek mythology and the deities of, of the Roman world, what you see is that humans would make these deities in their own image, in, in human image. That is, that these gods had human qualities even though they were gods. Like they constantly fought among themselves. They behaved irrationally. They, they were unfair. They were jealous of each other. They saw the people on the world as, as just their slaves who they kind of just didn't even like. Like when Isaiah says God, is that what he's thinking of? Or is Isaiah thinking like, like the forefathers of this nation thought? That God is this some like distant, far off deity who just winds up the hands of time and then steps back, watching it all happen, not caring what goes on, distant and far off. Like is that what Isaiah meant? I mean, what did Isaiah mean when he said God? Well, because Isaiah is Jewish, he actually had a very specific image when it came to using the word God. See, for, you, for Jewish people, God wasn't so much a name like we use it today. Sometimes you'll hear Christians pray like, God, you know, help me in this, like we use God as a proper name. For the Jewish person, and really, for the Jewish person, God was not a name, but more like a category of being. See, everyone in the ancient world, whether you were Jewish or not, believed in a God. And so the conversation that would take place, the questions that were asked, is not whether you believed in a God, but whether what God you believed in. And the way that you would know God is by knowing his name. And so going all the way back to the beginning pages of Scripture, we have what we call the five books of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, the Torah. And the Torah was written by a guy named Moses, another prophet in Israel's history. And Moses wrote the Torah hundreds of years before Isaiah was even on the scene. And if you know Moses' story, it goes a little bit like this, that Moses was born when the Hebrew people were in slavery to Egypt. They were oppressed by Pharaoh. And one day Moses is literally running from his people's problems, and he encounters this burning bush where God reveals himself to him. And Moses begins to ask this God all of these questions. And eventually he asks God what his name is, and this God simply answers with his name, and he says, I am. Yahweh, that's what he says. My name is Yahweh, which simply in Hebrew means I am. And the way that we write this in, in uh, Hebrew would be Y-H-W-H, that's Yahweh. In English, it's Jehovah. Oftentimes in your Bible, you'll see it as Lord, but it all means I am. That 6,000 times in our Old Testament, God refers to himself as Yahweh as Jehovah. And the name Jehovah was in part to communicate that God is someone who is everything that his people need. And there's nothing that lacks. I am. And so we look through the Old Testament and we see that, that God would remind the people of Israel of his name, Jehovah, I am. Whenever Israel found itself fearful or in distress or in need, when they lacked, God would remind them and he would say to them, I am Jehovah Barah, which means I am the creator. That when you're scared, when you're fearful, remember that I'm the one who created all of this. 
If you're a fan of The Chosen, this is so beautifully depicted in the very first episode with Mary Magdalene when she's a little child. And she runs to her daddy and she says, Papa, Papa, I'm scared. And he looks at her and he says, Oh, honey, what do we do when we're scared? And they begin to quote Isaiah chapter 42. The Lord is our creator. Fear not. In those moments of distress, God would would whisper Jehovah Shema, which means I'm ever-present. When you feel alone, I'm with you. Jehovah Raha, that I am the shepherd. That when you feel lost, when you need guidance or counsel in your life, I am your shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, which, which means that I'm the healer. That when the, the wounds of this life mount, when you feel helpless, I am your healer. Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. When you're at a loss of, of providing for yourself, I am the one who provides for you. Jehovah Shalom, I am your peace. When your soul is troubled, when life is overwhelming, I am the calm. That I am everything that Israel needs, everything that they lacked for all that they could never be themselves. They had God, the mighty I am. And I mean, come on, if this is really who God is, I mean, if there's a God out there who's really all of these things, peace, provider, shepherd, right, creator, if there's really a God who's out there who's like this, he's at least worth investigating. He's at least worth knowing about, which brings us to the very first Christmas. That when Isaiah makes the claim that a child will be born and, and this child's name shall be Mighty God, what he's saying is that one day this Mighty God, who is the great I Am of Israel's history, will show up as a baby. That the great I Am will show up as a helpless child. That when you look upon the manger and see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, as you peer into that manger, you are actually looking at the face of Jehovah. And so we get to the first Christmas, we fast forward 30 years, and that baby grows into a man, and the dilemma, the tension throughout all of the New Testament is will this man live up to what it means to be Jehovah? Will this man be able to do the things that only powerful deities can do? Will he be the mighty I am? And the question doesn't take long for us to answer. That one day as the disciples are walking about early on in Jesus' ministry, Matthew records this scene for us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. He says this, And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people so his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he what? He healed them. Jehovah Rapha. And then in the Gospel of John, we find this man in, the, in this garden called the Mount of Olives. And he's just hanging out, probably praying. And one day the religious leaders, they drag this woman into her and throw her down at his feet. And they say, hey, great one, great teacher, what do you say about her? We just caught her in adultery. What are you going to do? And in that moment, this man steps forward, and he becomes her shield for her. And he says, the first one to cast a stone, 
The first one without sin, go ahead and throw it. And one by one, all of the religious leaders leave. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, records it like this, that after they've all left, the man looks and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she looked at him and said, no, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. Go, and now on, sin no more. Jehovah Raha, the great shepherd. There's another scene in the scriptures where this man is, is with his boys, the disciples. They're out in the Sea of Galilee, and he's tired, so he takes a nap. And as he's napping, the storm moves in, and the disciples, most of them fishermen, most of them who grew up on the waters, see this storm moving in, and they think they're all going to die. And as they're freaking out, they go and they wake him up, and Mark records it for us like this. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're dying here? And he woke up and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Like this man stands up, and he literally just turns off the storm like we turn off a television set. And the disciples who, who called him teacher in the middle of the storm are now looking at him with this newfound awe, this new wonder, and they look and they go, who is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? Oh, boys, this is Jehovah Shalom, the mighty peace, the one who brings the calm. See, this baby born in a major didn't just show or claim to be the mighty I am clothed in flesh, that he came proving it. Does the mighty I am really exist? Absolutely. He came and he walked on this earth and throughout the pages of history we watch him as he walks on water, as he heals the blind, as he touches those who are bleeding, as he picks up people who are dying of leprosy, who, who brings a man out from the dead. That time and time again, he shows himself to be Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, I am. That he does the things that we could never even imagine doing. He is mighty God, which brings us to this Christmas. See, the baby in the manger that was born with the face of Jehovah, if this baby is actually who the scriptures claim him to be, then this is what brings us hope. Because being the great I am just doesn't mean doing cool stuff and doing powerful tricks, but actually being present in our lives. I mean, how different would your world look if you knew with absolute certainty that at every moment, at every joy, at every challenge, at every trial, at every heartbreak, at every pain, that this mighty I am was right there by your side? Where you could say that he's present with me even when I feel alone that he's guiding me, counseling me, shepherding when I don't know where to go, that he can heal my hurts and my pains, that he's providing when I can't provide for myself, that he brings peace to my troubled soul. See, this baby with the face of Jehovah, who grew up to be a man, was given the name of Jesus, which simply means in the Hebrew, rescuer. One more whisper from God. I am your rescuer. I am your rescuer. See, here's the truth that I know about every single one of us this Christmas, is that we're all dealing with uncertainties, aren't we? Brokenness and heartbreak. That undoubtedly you have your own trials and struggles and anxieties, fears. 
And as we head into this Christmas week, you may be trying to pretend that they don't really exist. They might be so dark that no one but you even knows about them. And you might be sitting back thinking, who could possibly get you through this? Where's the help when you cannot even help yourself? And Jesus whispers, I am. In those deepest moments when we cry out in our life, I'm all alone. I'm by myself. Who's here with me? Jesus says, I am. That nobody ever listens to me. That nobody ever hears me. Is there anybody out there who's listening? Jesus says, I am. I don't know if I can ever face the pain of my past. Jesus says, I'm here with you. But what if I fail again? Jesus says, I'm here to pick you up. I've given all I know to give. I, d I don't know how I can give any more. I'm here to provide for you. This Christmas, I can't hold on. I'm holding on for you. I need someone to hold on to me. I am. See, here's what it means to know Jesus this Christmas. It's to know that he came to be with us and to prove to us that he's actually there and to show us that he cares. And he did that in one of the greatest ways possible. See, the greater dilemma that we find throughout the whole scripture is our sin. And that our sin has separated us from this mighty God. That the sin of our lives has separated us from Yahweh, has separated us from Jehovah. And there's nothing that we can do, and we all know this, don't we, because we've tried, but there's nothing that we can do to make it right. There's nothing that we can do to put it back the way that it should be. And so this baby, born in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger with the face of Jehovah, comes not just to be born into this world, but ultimately to live his life so that he could die as the rescuer for all of us. That when we cry out to him, Savior, Lord, because of what he accomplished on the cross, he forgives our sins. And we see him and we cry out, Jesus, rescuer, savior of my life. I mean, who else? Who else would you rather be with this Christmas? Jesus is the rescuer. He's the great and mighty God, the I am, Jehovah Yahweh. In this Christmas, he wants to know you. And in this Christmas, when we put our hope in him, that's when we truly find hope for our lives, no matter what uncertainty comes in this world for us. Before we go to communion, would you pray with me? Father, we step here today. Lord, looking at your son, Jesus. Lord, as the rescuer and savior of our souls, the mighty God, the great I am. And so, Lord, as we quiet our hearts before you today, Lord, I pray for those of us who have walked, that have walked with you, Jesus, for years. Lord, who look at the uncertainty of this life, Lord, the anxieties that fill our souls, the troubles that come our way, and Lord, at times we feel a bit like Israel, hopeless and helpless. And yet everything that we lack, everything that we're not, you are, and you say, I am. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us once again to come to you, that you would whisper in our souls this Christmas season when we're overwhelmed, and that we would be reminded of who you are. Father, I pray for those today who do not know you, 
God, who are going into this Christmas season full of hopelessness. Lord, that you would whisper into their ear that I am Jehovah Shalom, that I am your peace, that I am Jehovah Raha, I'm your shepherd, that I'm Jehovah Rapha, I'm your healer, I'm Jehovah Barah, I am the creator. And Lord, as you whisper into the ears of the souls, Lord, that they would cry out, knowing their need for a rescuer. And so, Lord, I pray for that this Christmas, that that would be the gift that they open, that they would see that this isn't just some baby born in a manger, but a man who showed himself to be God, dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you for the hope that that gives us, the peace that it brings us. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Today as we gather, we come together and we take communion, realizing that through the Advent is joy and peace, love and hope, and that all of that's possible not just because a baby was born in a manger some 2,000 years ago, but because that baby died on a cross where he offered up his body to be broken for you and for me where his blood was spilt so that our sins would be forgiven. And so today, as we begin the Christmas week that we also love, that we remember the great gift given to us that gives us life. And so we partake of the bread together. And we remember the blood that was spilt so that our sins would be forgiven. And with that, we're going to sing. We're going to sing some nostalgic Christmas hymns together. And at any point during this time, if you need prayer online, you can click the button in-house. You can just make your way over to the banner that says prayer, and we would love to pray for you. But let's stand and sing to our mighty God together. <laughs> 